0: What's up, Here man? I am.
1: So, How are you, my friend? I'm doing so well, man. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Really excited for not just tonight, but more specifically or more uh, imminently to be on this today. As you and I uh, know, there is a shared affinity for basketball on this podcast, so I'm fired up to talk about some hoops
0: and everything else. And, and fantasy football. Um, In my shared affinity for fantasy football, in my dynasty league that I have privately messaged you about far too many times um, in our group chat, someone just shared my tweet of you coming on and they freaked out, so... Oh, man. uh,
1: Well, one of these days, and you and I have talked about that dynasty league quite a bit, and I always (laughs) appreciate how much of a deep dive you take into all of your uh, decisions that you have to make in that dynasty league. And uh, I'll have to follow up closer to the season to get a real sense of (laughs) how the squad is looking uh, and size up the league and maybe offer a few predictions, sort of like I think we might do uh, related to some NBA content over the next little bit here on this conversation.
0: Well, here's the thing. Like, I cover the NBA from a transactional level, right? And like, I, I'm I'm kind I kind of operate like the like the league's 31st front office because everyone every team has people doing what I do. They just don't write it publicly. They file it away in a database, so they call up the up the food chain and let their GM or boss know. Or the GM is the guy who's the one hunting down for intel. Um, so to be able to use that in like a competitive environment and on the football side of things where like, I don't have to be too attached to these guys for like, like, I can't like people ask me all the time, like, who's your NBA team? And like, I, I truly don't have one. Maybe it's different for you in football, but for me, like when I grew up a Sixers fan, like the Sixers had given me as much consternation on like a professional level in terms of like asking them questions. I mean, of late, I, I want to say to anyone who might be listening from the Philadelphia 76 Sixers. Uh, you guys have been very helpful in answering my questions, but um, uh, like over the years, you know, I can't root for them over any other team because I'm rooting for the story, and I'm rooting for teams that will theoretically be more helpful to me. So to be able to like use the knowledge of how team building and trade negotiations and all that work in like an actual competitive environment where. <clears throat> I can uh, make money. <laughs> sure, um, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, totally.
1: Man. Yeah, it's funny. So I'm I'm the same way. I think you become desensitized once you start working in it. Um, you know, my previous experience includes working with both the Chiefs and the Patriots. But if you were to go up to somebody and say like my two favorite teams are the Chiefs and the Patriots, they would say, "Oh, cool. So you chose the best team of the past twenty years and the best <laughs> team of the past five years. So way to go out in the limb and like." really throw some support behind the underdogs. But, you know, more seriously, um, it's hard. Like, you get desensitized to it, right? Because, like, if your job is to, to objectively analyze on these teams and a team that you root for, like, falls into a slump, you know, not that slumps uh, don't matter in other sports, but in football, like, a four-game losing streak in the NFL is a month. It's a month of agony. It's a month. Yeah. In the NBA, it could be seven days now. I mean, not often, but, you know, you could have four games in seven days in the current NBA schedule. So I'm not saying that it's uh, more difficult to be a fan in football uh, than a fan in baseball or basketball or hockey or whatever you root for. Um, But I've realized that, like, the the more emotionally detached you become uh, to basically everything that takes place. Other than what you want for your fantasy football team, I think the better you do your job, and probably just like the higher quality of life you lead overall. Yeah, I
0: remember. Um, you know, the, the we we don't root for over, we root against overtime. That trope in this business has been you know passed down from generation to generation. For the first time it happened to me was when I was covering a high school game for the Globe up in Boston when I was uh, starting out. Where. Uh, I don't know if you remember. That's where we actually met, like first time. Do you remember where we met?
1: Uh, it was a pickup. We were picking up Thai food at the same place over on, on Mass Ave.
0: We were both picking up Thai food. I forgot what the place was called. Uh, I, think I think it's it was, still there. It though. was faux basil. Faux basil. Yes,
1: faux basil. Yes. We exactly. both
0: there. We were both there picking up takeout for our respective girlfriends, who I that's believe right. you're that was cheaping at the time. Yes, yeah, and so now I am my real, wife. I am, I am no longer with that woman. Okay. Well, 50%. uh, That's not
1: a bad batting average, you know?
0: And it spawned spawned a beautiful friendship. So here we are.
1: Yeah. And I know we're going to, we have to get going and we'll have to be serious and all that. But, you know, I followed your career closely uh, before that meetup and and even more so since that meetup. And that's an honor because um, I think of, you know, I'm from Boston, as you know, and obviously that, that reference right there may have tipped off the listeners that did not previously know this, but... Uh, When you're from Boston, you obviously – the newspaper industry has changed dramatically over the past 20 years. But I grew up reading what I believe was the most decorated sports section in the history of newspapers, at least domestically. I mean, it's hard to choose a top five best reporters in the history of the Boston Globe because there's way more than five. But you think about the people that were trailblazers in their sport or in their field or both. Bob Ryan and Jackie Mack and Will McDonough and all these people, that, that that that's just like three off the top of my head, and there's so many more, right? People that are now contemporaries of mine, you know, Mike Reese, who works with me at ESPN, who had an incredible run, kind of brought blogging to the, yeah. to the forefront for football media with his Reese's Pieces at the Boston Globe. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches. And so the reason I mention that is I always find your reporting to be Uh, I I think old school and I say that affectionately in nature in the sense that there's the what and people care about the what, no doubt, right? We want to know where Jalen Brunson is signing this off season, right? Or we want to know who's getting traded into where, but they want the why as well, because the what is important to get us out of the gates, but the why really matters, especially when you're dealing with trades where sometimes it's obvious who the winner appears to be on paper, but, Both teams are agreeing to make this trade. So why would the team that is quote unquote losing the trade on paper be motivated to make that trade? Um, And I think that you so often do an incredible job of illuminating not just the what, but the why. Um, And I think that's very, very helpful to people like myself who are obsessed with the NBA.
0: I appreciate that, man. And obviously the, all the compliments head back your way as well. Um, But you know, the thing that I always try to do and, and like, kind of like steer my reporting with is that like I, and it's funny when people on Twitter and fans like get mad about things that you write. Cause like I am working on behalf of them. Like I, as much as I do try to straddle the line to the point where like, you got to keep your relationships, um you know, health, happy and healthy in order to continue those dialogues. Like I don't work, to try to help advance the agendas of an agent or a player or, or a front office person, you know, I'm trying to bring the truth to the public and not to be so holier than now. And like, what, what a great task I'm doing. Um, But I do think that's something that has gotten lost in this Twitter, social media era that I we're in as a business. Cause I remember when I was younger when I was trying, when I was trying to move my way up at sports illustrated, like I was definitely trying to write things that would impress people in the industry in order to either get a better job or to just like gain the support of the people who were, you know, like the, the contemporaries you were talking about earlier. And I have found that actually the better way to do that is to try to find the best story for the people who couldn't find it. It's pretty, it's pretty ironic.
1: Yeah, it is. And by the way, it's, it's an industry where, oftentimes the people that are best at their job are those that are bringing about less than fortunate news, right? I, I will just yeah. use a recent example that I know you're still living through right now, which is that there <laughs> are disgruntled people in Toronto because you have reported that while a trade of OG Ananobi is not a guarantee, it is not imminent, it is perhaps uh, unlikely, who knows? Like the fact that that has a, that, there, that other teams have at least been led to believe that in the proper deal he could be available has all of a sudden rankled people in Toronto and you know something the reason why we are fans is fans are short for fanatic fanatic obviously uh it it, it implies um a level of interest in something that perhaps is like borderline unhealthy like we care too much because yeah. we're fans and um So you doing your job and doing something at a high level, that was the first time I heard anything about OG and Anobi. And, again, neither of us is suggesting that a trade is necessarily a guarantee. But that's, to me, very fascinating because I'm sitting here trying to piece together how things could shape up this NBA offseason. And I start to imagine scenarios in which Toronto Toronto tries to uh, adjust or perhaps improve a roster that is solid but certainly not quite in the top tier of the East as of right now. Now my mind is at least open to the idea that like if there was a deal that involved a bigger fish to fry, so to speak, that perhaps OG Ananobi would be part of a construction of a trade, which previously I would have thought, oh, you know, something good, really, you know, solid player on a very fair contract, perhaps Toronto says, that's just too valuable for us to keep. So uh, I get why doing your job is both gratifying, but at times (laughs) um, not frustrating, but it can be like a bit of an emotional roller coaster.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll say two things to like that. One, so at the trade deadline, I had heard the night before the deadline, so that Wednesday night, from a lot of people like, hey, Toronto and Porzingis was like definitely a thing. You should look into that. So that trade doesn't happen, but I reported it earlier that day that they had had the conversation. A lot of people freaked out like, well, they just had a conversation like, and it's not done. I'm like, why are you putting it out there? Well, a couple hours later, Christoph Porzingis got traded to the Wizards and like, to me if i'm a mavericks fan i would want to know the other options that were theoretically on the table and if i'm a rappers fan i would want to know what the price that he ended up getting moved for was to kind of get a sense of how the order of operations or the chain of command or whatever you want to call it what the rappers were thinking of and then the second thing was you know like the headline on my story was a little sensationalized i'll be honest when i saw it i was you know, not the most thrilled, but listen, Bleacher Report has been a very successful media company for a reason, and it is what it is. But if you actually read the story, you know, like I, I would assume, Field, if you heard that, you know, to me, from my fantasy football knowledge, like we discussed earlier, I would compare OG to someone like, um, you know, someone like a number two wide receiver on a team mm. that, like, has a really good chance to potentially one day be mm. – a wide receiver like a Stefan Diggs years ago right sure and if you, if you were saying that if you were hearing that every like not everyone but a lot of front office people starting here at the combine were starting to be told that OG was dissatisfied with his role even if he's not which I I believe he is which is why I wrote that and why I wrote to be clear is that I don't think he's you know, now that, uh, pounding down the table or knocking down the door to rappers management saying, "Give me a bigger role or else." But like, you know, I talked to a, someone who, who, a couple people who used to be in Toronto who are not there now. Let's say, who said to me that OG has been one to express dissatisfaction in the past, and uh-huh. you know, even after that story came out, um, you know, several people with ties to the organization said to me, "Yeah, like." I've heard the same thing. So, but even if that wasn't true, even if he wasn't dissatisfied, wouldn't it be at least interesting enough to have a data point that people in the league are talking about that?
1: Look, I I will take like any morsel of information and consume it, (laughs) eat it up, right? Like when players are being converted from two way deals at the end of the regular season, I'm all about it. So Something that has the potential to be more significant, like the OG story, is to me, like, I don't want to use the analogy of red meat to suggest that, you know, I'm, 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 it's it's like almost like purely for pleasure. Like, I think it's important context. And, you know, one of the it's tricky dopamine. parts about it. It's
0: just yes, un- unfiltered dopamine. Yeah,
1: but it's, a, it's one of the tricky parts for your job is that. I don't know if there has been any public comment from OG or anybody associated with OG or the Raptors, but there is a zero, I mean, I shouldn't say zero, there's like a one in a hundred circumstance in which a story of this ilk is reported and the player or the team comes out and says, yeah, it's totally true. Like he's actually kind of dissatisfied and like, we're going to have to find a way to move on. No, what happens is if there is a public comment, 99 99 times out of a 100 the team or the player or the representation or all of them come out and say, this is completely ridiculous. We view OG as a huge part of our future. And OG said, I love Toronto. It's the only place I've ever called professional a a home in in, in my professional basketball career. I don't want to retire a Raptor. So then all of a sudden the vitriol that fans were frustrated uh, and and projecting upon you in the first place only strengthens. So I'm just going to sit here and encourage you like continue (laughs) to do what you do. And if OG and OB gets traded this off season, I don't know what I want you to do. I don't know if I want you to tweet out a Ric Flair gif. I don't know if I want you to fly <laughs> to Toronto and go into, what do they call Jurassic Park, the middle of Jurassic Park, which will likely be empty during the summer uh, and go and throw like a one-man party. But uh, <laughs> I will not forget uh, that you, Jake Fisher, were the first person to bring this this, this concept to the limelight. and uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not rooting for it, right? Like I'm not
0: rooting for- yes, was just I was gonna like say it, the same thing. It yeah. is what it is, yeah. So anyways. I'm not rooting for him to get traded either. And to be honest, like to the fact the favorite team question, like honestly, I would love a world where all teams are happy because like and every player is happy because my job is just to talk to people in the NBA and tell people yeah. what's happening behind the scenes. And I enjoyed the parts of my job I enjoyed just catching up with good people. So typically, not even good people, all people are in a better mood to talk and they're you know more stimulating of a day and a conversation when they're happy. So. I'm not rooting for anyone's dissatisfaction or anyone to have to get, you know, uprooted and, and have to, you know, OG's lived in Toronto for five, six years now. Right. Like if he got moved to a situation that he wasn't totally thrilled about, like city wise, but maybe he liked it team wise. Like that would be a bummer. Right. Um, sure. and I remember, you know, I was not to puff my chest, but I was one of, I was the first person to write that James Harden was a little dissatisfied in Brooklyn. Right. Yeah. Um, I remember I was at dinner with an old roommate and his fiance and my girlfriend of today, who loves Thai food as well. Um, nice. Who, who who will not be a, a person of the past. Um, she, uh, my roommate said like, well, the day that he texted me, or we went to dinner the night of the deadline, but he texted me first on the afternoon when the deal went down. And he said, isn't that the biggest win of your career? And I was like, honestly, like I I, I kind of got duped a bit, I think, or I, I was behind the eight ball. And, like, I didn't think it was going to happen that day before because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I really truly believe to this day Brooklyn and Philly didn't have significant trade talks until that Wednesday, until Harden finally, like, you know, by all accounts, to, to be fair, like, just sacked up and said, I want add it here, like, before he was kind of being coy about it. Um, so once that happened, then Brooklyn really did have to, you know – say, Hey, look, we gotta, we gotta get this done. And people who were actually having those conversations just didn't respond to me, to be fully honest until it started getting close. So when I went on podcast on Wednesday night and Thursday morning until Woj put it out there that, um, that the nets finally like encouraged James Harden. He didn't want to make the trade request to be the bad guy. Like All right. Like clearly there was a, a a little bit of a messaging going on there. Like until that moment, that's not really when I like fully knew that the deal had a chance to get down, get done because there's so much at stake in that regard. Right. Like that's a deal that both sides really can't mess up. And even if, even, even once those conversations happen because of the stakes involved, like, I didn't know if it was for sure going to get done. Like, there are a lot of deals that you think are at the finish line that both teams think are at the finish line. It just never gets there. So um, that's all to say, like, all these stories are always evolving. And I feel like it's just my job. I have to write once a week, and typically it's Tuesday. I just try to bring the most relevant uh, and interesting story at that time and try to also – illustrate the potential pivot points that could come from it, which some people like to take as like, oh, well, he's just hedging and couching so that way he can be right. So you can read it that way, but also, no, what I'm bringing to you is like very half-baked, not in its accuracy, but in its actuality. And sure, it would be nice to have a lot of executives in your pocket and just be able to drop a tweet and say, look, this is the final deal. You know, I kind of love being able to tell people this is what's going to happen. This might happen. And then it does. So that's, that's kind of my approach.
1: Yeah. And I know part of the conversation we wanted to have was sort of like a contrast of football versus basketball. And I was thinking about this last night is that football is interesting in the, in the sense that um, like, I'm not saying that we don't have unexpected news from time to time. We certainly have plenty of unexpected news. But football's calendar tends, at least in my opinion, to be a bit more truncated for when mm-hmm. we are expecting certain news. The NFL trade deadline is often more, a little more than a whimper, right? Um, and NFL trades in general, even though this offseason has been a robust one, typically it is not the case, right? Where like your NBA, let's just call it notebook for lack of a better term, like almost in perpetuity, right? Like, it can have some, some interesting uh, potential action. Like, you know, I, I know that we're, we haven't even gotten to the summer of 2022 Uh, tech. We still have another series left and we can't wait for the finals, but like there is already, I'm already aware of, I think we all are already aware of things that could be pertinent in 2023 that you can start to gather Intel on that are more specific to the 2023 free agency class or guys that are extension eligible. Now, to be clear, there are points of the NBA calendar where we know, like news is coming one way or the other. I always think about like the rookie extensions. I believe it's is it still Halloween? Is the deadline? You either have to have a deal done by then, or you can't talk yeah. until after the season. So yeah, like I know I'm bracing between October 29th and October 31st to see whether or not. You know, whether John Morant gets, well, I, I'm sure he will. But, you know, whatever the number is for John Morant uh, this upcoming year or Trey Young a year ago or Luca and all these guys that have been extended. Um, that stuff, like there are certain times where it's it's, it's more predictable for the NBA versus the NFL. Like you could I mean, I'm sure you've got stuff two years from now. Right. That could be pertinent, like, you know, whether it's guys who are couple of years away from a new deal or guys that have three years left on their contract. And the third one is a player option and what it's going to look like all that stuff. I mean, we've been talking about Russell Westbrook's future with the Lakers since before he even got traded, like the, the, the ramifications of acquiring a player that has a player option for $47 million in 2022 and 2023. So uh, I've noticed that I've also noticed like with football, I don't know that there's, it, it strikes me that there is more, Reporting in the NBA. I don't want to use the term conjecture because what you're doing is not guessing, right? It's reporting. But there seems to be more reporting from people like yourself and other high level reporters about like various possibilities of what could happen versus Mm -hmm. the NFL. A lot of it is just like, you know, there are times when Deshaun Watson had kind of narrowed his list. Uh, yeah. to three teams and we were able and that to that becomes okay.
0: a massive mess and then yep. that, that's the one difference I think when that does happen it just becomes such a huge like intercontinental oh, totally. universal story in, in your, in your totally. field totally
1: but and maybe this is because the NBA's salary cap functions differently from the NFL and I'm I, I'm not guaranteeing that he ends up with one of these teams but like doesn't it feel like if Jalen Brunson does leave Dallas this offseason, which – I'm just using this as an example, which maybe is unlikely at this point. But if he does leave, it's like, okay, hey, it's it's Detroit because they have some cap space even though they have Cade Cunningham. Or it's the Knicks. We all know for many reasons would love to acquire a player like Jalen Brunson. You just kind of go through the few teams that actually have viable – salary cap scenarios to acquire Jalen Brunson, whereas this past year, like, when you went to the NFL free agency, like, I had some players that I had a general sense of who might make sense for them, but I'm just here to tell you, like, there were a lot of players where your guess was as good as mine until the eve of free agency. You know, within a day or so, I kind of had a feeling of where things might end up, but a week before, then it was like the great mystery. Whereas in the NBA, it feels like we have a bit longer telescope, so to speak, uh, as opposed to the NFL, where it feels like, generally speaking, we are dealing a bit more. Um, I would say the proximity just tends to be a lot closer to the actual story. Which, I, by the way, as a fan, part of the reason why I love the NBA is because I can deal with all these like that longer range lens. I remember you joined Nate Duncan. Uh, i on dunked on,
0: and two got to 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 great. I'm actually, ju- I'm, actually I'm actually jo- I'm actually joining him later this afternoon. Funny enough, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I respect the heck
1: out of Nate. He's incredible at what he does, and he is just he's a machine. uh you guys did a podcast, and it was like I think it was maybe a week before the tra- NBA trade deadline, and he just sort of picked your brain. What are you hearing? And I didn't go back and 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 check how many of the deals that Jake <laughs> mentioned did or did not get done, but as a fan. That was extremely compelling content to me. I wasn't expecting every single deal or every single player you mentioned to get moved, but it was compelling to me to know, like, okay, so what is the real deal on Miles Turner? Oh, this guy is available? I didn't realize this guy was available. So I find the NBA versus NFL reporting to be interesting, but also really compelling.
0: Yeah, what you're doing a very good job of puffing me up. It's very, it's very unwarranted and uh, kind, but I appreciate it. Um, but it, it's a, it's a good segue into one of the two questions I thought of asking you on my walk back to my apartment before we went live. And the first is that, well, I mean, to kind of answer your question, spin it into my question. I think it's more covered because it happens more often in our league, right? And maybe, maybe that's because the salary cap or have you. But I think. One unquestioned reason because there will there'll be, there'll be many reasons why that it happens more in the NBA right but one of them, I think to me is that it's it's absolutely unquestioned to say that players in the NBA have more of a say so on where their next team is going to be um, yep. and but it does seem like this offseason, at least in the quarterback market, I mean not for Baker Mayfield, unfortunately for him. But, I mean, even, like, going back to Matt Stafford, like, Matt Stafford got to upgrade his life from Detroit. No no offense to the uh, Detroiters out there, but to go live in L.A. in sunshine for a Super Bowl contending team after, you know, toiling away in the line, with the Lions for, you know, a decade or so, and someone who I who helped me win a bunch of fantasy leagues, because he's that damn good. Um, <laughs> and then it goes forward to, you know, the Sean Watson situation is obviously way bigger than what, what this question is, but... You know, he gets to make a list, the Matt Ryan, Indiana thing. Like, it just kind of seemed like this year was more like one of the drunkest NFL offseasons I can remember. And it also seemed like it had more player influence than ever before, too. Even the story that's still ongoing about Debo theoretically like kind of requesting a trade. Like, it seems like this is starting to happen more on your side, right?
1: No question about it. It's been an NFL offseason unlike any other that I can recall. I've been covering the league for 10 or 11 years now. And this is easily the most unique offseason we have seen. And I think to a degree, some of what we saw was a rise in overall player empowerment. I also think that it's possible that we happen to have an off season in which player empowerment rose that also coincided with some really unique circumstances that led to players even wanting to leave in the first place. Like, nothing about Devontae Adams is – a reason why it gives the packers reasons to want to move on from him incredibly productive he's homegrown which in the in every sport but the nfl they love homegrown talent he's an amazing guy he's an amazing player maybe he's like in football typically nfl contracts you know, uh teams and agents are, are often very focused on the first three years of the deal because they're not fully guaranteed i'd be very surprised that if he's not effective for at least three, three more years. Um, so like, it's not as if a deal comes with significant risk tied to the chance of him not meeting expectations of that contract. Anyways, like who would have thought that Devonte Adams would not be a Packer going into the off season. Well, he decided he wanted to play with his college roommate or in college best friend or college quarterback and Derek and yeah. Carr. So I think some Which, of this Derek Carr is
0: my QB two in dynasty, so I was pretty pumped about
1: it. Yeah, and all of a sudden you have a much more vested interest. I love it. Um, I will say this is that like I feel, but, but I feel like that, and then Tyree Kill I think was kind of a byproduct of the Devonte Adams trade because yeah. you know I, with my understanding, Chiefs and and, Devont, and and Tyree Kill were actually near an extension, um, and the number obviously was impacted by the fact that Devonte Adams not only got traded but still got. $28.5 million dollars in new money average, and football agents and football executives, players, fans, analysts will all evaluate contracts differently, but yeah. $28.5 million dollars is the new money average, is, is, is the average per year if he makes every single dollar on the contract, which maybe he won't, but that's still a significant data point that all of a sudden Tyreek Hill is saying, well, why would I do an extension for anything less than, Somewhere near $28.5 million. And what did he get in terms of new money average? $30 million. So uh, there is a – I think there was some player empowerment taking place this offseason. I also believe that circumstances were unique. Like I am not – and, you know, famous last words – but I am not forecasting that next year we see two seismic wide receiver trades. And as a matter of fact, we're never going to have inertia. That's never going to happen in the NFL – as a whole, but if you just go through the NFL right now, I'm not saying no team is going to change quarterbacks next offseason. Many will, but I think next year free agency could be much more about pieces that aren't quarterbacks, and much because we have such a strong draft class coming through. And then if you go around the league, you either have enough teams where, like, you have a veteran quarterback that's your guy going forward. You just want him. You know, he's he's your guy or you've got teams that are a year or two into their commitment to a quarterback that they drafted in the first round. Like the jets aren't drafting. I mean, the jets are not drafting or signing a quarterback next offseason, right? Like you just go to the Jaguars I mean, all the teams took a first round quarterback last year, plus the Steelers this year, plus all the guys that are already locked in the chargers and the chiefs and those, and the Broncos of the world, right? Um, I guess the entire AMC West. So, I think next year would be a much different off season than this year's off season. But this year's off season was
0: incredibly fun for those reasons. Yeah. The the other thing I think that's very different um, is that in the NBA, you know, these guys are wearing a sleeveless short, a sleeveless shirt, and short shorts. And in the NFL, you're honestly almost every player in the NFL is replaceable. And that's yeah. something that fuels, I think, the competitive fire and the competition every night, which is part of why I love watching it. And I really do think of football as modern-day gladiators because, I mean, all the health risks and everything, like, it's obviously something. I mean, I guess I'll share a, a, per, a potentially controversial public opinion. Like, if these guys are signing up for it, I'm honestly, like, in awe of that fact while watching it's terrible and like i feel terrible for the ramifications but it doesn't like make me want to look i have to look away at the injuries like i hate when a broadcast replays and replays and replays a gruesome injury because what what are we doing at that point but like i kind of it kind of adds to the just like the sheer humanity of it all right like i always think when i go to a concert I, i can't help my brain from thinking like how many people are it's just a big moment for, her, even from like the roadie in the back of the truck to the, to the lead singer. Like when you watch football, to me, I think about how these guys are kind of taking their life into their hands on every snap um, and what it's worth and whatever. Like I'll, I'll get back on task. So to me, like the fact that unless you're the first, um, the first like superstar holdout free agent, like whatever thing that I kind of remember like happening and seeming like an NBA type deal was Darrell Revis, because it was the whole Revis Island thing, right? And it was yeah. like I remember ESPN doing graphics like what 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 state or what city is gonna adopt Revis Island, you know what I mean? And there are certain guy like certain guys in the NFL can have their brands. Tyreek Hill certainly has a brand as opposed to like um I don't know, Bernard Pringle. Not to, mm-hmm. you know, besmirch Bernard Pringle, but like even like Juju, who who, you know, is theoretically gonna replace Tyreek Hill. Like he's got his brand of like being a gamer guy and whatever, but Tyreek Hill's got like the swag and the swag to be like, I'm holding he's out, cheetah. right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And in the NFL I feel like there's starting to be more guys who are like that, who which is great for the game and as a fan, like part of especially playing Dynasty too and, and his regular week week to week or restart whatever it's called uh fantasy like you do start to root for people just as much as teams which is clearly something that the nba is trying to deal with because it's been dealing with that for years and i think it's kind of impacted the team sport of it all but in the nfl i think there's room to have both because of your once a week schedule like my, my girlfriend and i were in mexico city for a wedding last weekend we were walking around the temples in Teohati Kawan, if I pronounce that correctly. And I was saying to her, like, as crazy as you're gonna say that this you know, this thing, I, like, I think this sounds. All these people walking up to this temple to see where all this history is. Like, that's how I feel every time I walk into the link because I'm definitely still a die-hard Birds fan. Because like, it means something that everyone in your town, even like I live in New York now, but I got a, 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 one of my best friends from high school is in Denver and other people in D.C. Whatever. Like, we're all rooting for the thing about where we came from every week. So that's always going to be there. But on top of that, on the transactional side, and, like, because fantasy football is bigger in the NFL than the NBA, I think there's this opportunity for these guys to all continue to be in the NIL era that we're in, continue to become bigger individual superstars while still being in this team environment that I don't know if it was a unique offseason. Maybe it will be for quarterbacks, but who's to say we won't have, like – tight ends and and linemen, like, you know, Kelsey's obviously a huge star. Not like like that, but people know Jason Kelsey's got a funny personality, whatever. Even like the John Doran boss who, um, before his health stuff that kind of brought a public eye to him, like his magicians, like he was going on America's Got Talent, you know? Like, I think there might be, I I could be wrong because it's not my game, but I'm fascinated to see if this is where the NFL is kind of trending and how that will impact the transaction side of it all
1: yeah it's really interesting and you know again i have my at my reservations um and here's a like there are there are a lot of things that contribute to that as i mentioned there's i think there's going to be less veteran quarterback activity next year but also deshaun watson signed a fully guaranteed five-year deal that yeah. was larger by 80 million in terms of guarantees than any other player in nfl history that was an and nba contract. Yeah, it was. It's it's well, it's fifteen million less than Brad Beal money, right? Or (laughs) thirteen million. But um, you know, it's it's a it's a deal that obviously comes under the cloud of twenty three civil lawsuits. So, uh, but it was met with an incredible amount of pushback to the point that there was you know reporting from the NFL owners meetings that like this could have reverberations that like the Browns are sort of ostracized at at the ownership level. From because of their actions, and and I totally get that. Like, there's a significant legal component that makes a, ma- a you know, massive, uh, plays a massive part in this. But my sense is that the owners in the NFL, because of the way that the system is set up, because of the way that the CBA operates, will continue to resist the way for players to uh, sort of wield as much power, anywhere close to as much power as they do in the NBA. Which is not to say that the NBA owners necessarily would like for the players to wield as much power as they do. But some of the things that they have implemented to try to offset some of that power has proved negligible, right? I mean, the idea of the supermax at its core was that a player could make a sizably uh, different amount at by staying at home. And instead what's happened is guys have said, all right, fine. I'll just sign the supermax, And then a year or two in or three, and I'll just say, all right, trade me. Right. It's we've seen it with no shortage of NBA superstars. I mean, Russell Westbrook, since signing his Supermax, has been traded what, three times already and potentially a fourth this upcoming offseason? Not that.
0: And I each have... time, and each trade, to your point, came from him either requesting it or highly encouraging that they do so. Yeah. So, anyways, I
1: digress. I think that uh, the NFL might have less of that going forward, but I've got my eyes out for it. Like, I don't, I, I think a, some of what you just said has persuaded me. Um, I think, you know, this would be interesting. Like we can make this an annual tradition, you know, night of day or day of first uh, first game of the NBA finals. We'll see just how much things uh, either change or did not change next offseason.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, and with what you said, the counter, another counter argument to the ar- argument I had made is that look what happened with Le'Veon Bell, right? Like Le'Veon Bell was you know, so, considered by some to be the best running back in the league. He did have the swag. He did have the attitude and he does his whole holdout in Pittsburgh and they are like, screw it. We don't need you. And yep. he, they don't bring him back for the year. Then he signs with the Jets for less than I, I, I believe he could have gotten with Pittsburgh to begin with, right? Yep. And then now he's, like, basically out of the league. And yeah. He's never good, yeah. never good with the Jets. And he's someone I've fallen for in my restart leagues pretty much every year. But I have yeah. I have now sworn him off. I, I will no longer be in the Le'Veon Bell business. Just yeah. like I have told myself I no longer will be in the CMC business. Um, but that, that is the counter argument to, to the NFL never really getting there because these guys do have a shorter shelf life and you know we talk about miles on on guys legs in the NBA but I mean it's clearly something different in football and definitely different at the running back position so yeah like the no one in I'll my dynasty this... league values running backs they all think they're all going to get hurt in two years and be done It's quarterbacks and wide receivers in dynasty the last thing I'll say is that the path to Massive
1: money in the NFL, in the NBA is much faster, right? Not only are players – so players are eligible to sign an extension in the NFL if you were drafted yeah. after three years. If you're undrafted, it's after two. But not only – but in the NFL, like after three years, while you certainly can get near the top of the market – there's a variety of different extensions that can be signed, right? As a matter of fact, oftentimes what happens is when these players are signing after their third year in the league, they sign these deals that teams are projecting ahead that wind up becoming great bargains. The Chiefs signed Travis Kelsey for five years and eighty and forty million bucks after his third year. Same with the Eagles and Zach Gertz. and those two aged incredibly. In the NBA, if you're good, it's am I getting the supermax or am I getting like you know five percent less, right? I mean uh so Luca well he's a different case because he he obviously is you know he's he's one of the best players in the league if not the brightest young star in the league but like Dre Young and like look at like even going back and this is he's playing really well right now and is a big part maybe those bring it to the NBA finals but like the the Timberwolves had to make a decision early and they went and I know that Glenn Taylor was influential in this decision and maybe uh in an ill-fated way but they supermaxed Andrew Wiggins three years into his career when there was plenty of evidence to suggest that he's a good player, but he's not a super max level player. So NBA players tend to exert more power sooner in their career, and sometimes that's due to projecting, and sometimes when you're projecting, you're projecting on the wrong guys.
0: Yeah, no, uh, that's a great point. Um, Did you say last thing on that point or last thing because you got to run? No, no. Last
1: thing on that point is I want to talk about the finals. I think
0: I, I, okay. I, mean, I think we would be remiss not to well, talk about I the finals. Wanna, I right? want to ask you. I want to ask you one more thing before finals. It can be quick. Um, sure. The other question that I thought about on my walk home was just obviously. I mean, you are one of the more you know, accurate, consistent, reputable reporters in the NFL. But also, you know, you, I think you kind of broke in as a as a media member, truly on the fantasy side of things. Is that a weird balance to shift back and forth between thinking like, oh, because because to be a reporter you know, maybe it's different for you than me. I, I mean, I get tips. I don't get leaked anything. So I'm always kind of trying to piece together things to figure out what's going to happen and then bringing it to the sure. people who would know. And then they tell me sometimes if it's, not, if it's true or not. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. So if I had to also be thinking about how that impacted NBA fantasy, I don't think I could do that job. So you know, how do yeah. you balance that?
1: The funny thing is that like almost always I try to like, if I get information that might be relevant to fantasy. Hey, here's how we plan to use our running backs this weekend. I actually yeah. have a rule of trying to divorce myself from that information and just go with what my initial gut is because yeah. I've spoken to enough people and, and seen the sausage made during my time in the world of football to know that, like, I'm just going to use the 49ers because we're always talking about them as a running back by committee team. If the yeah. goal is we're going to ride – you know, Raheem Mostert, we want to play him like somewhere between 10 and 15 touches. I want to use him for 10, 15 touches in a game. And then we want to rely on Elijah Mitchell for another 8 to 10. And then we want to get Jeff Wilson Jr. 5, right? Well, all it takes is one big run from Jeff Wilson Jr. on his first touch for Kyle Shannon to say, we got to go back to him. Conversely, yeah. if, if Raheem Mostert's first touch results in a fumble, he might be done for the day. NFL coaches have this weird tolerance and sometimes lack thereof for fumbles to the point that it's like, all right, fine, you're done. Right. So I have found that like, I try to use two things. When it comes to public information, like stuff that I share social or on the air, like my goal generally speaking is to be more black and white. Um, Like if I hear things like, you know, during the preseason, we're really optimistic about this guy. I certainly will convey that, but I've been, not duped cuz i don't think the people were telling me things intentionally that were wrong but under, i just see how much things can change once the you know once kickoff begins that most of my reporting is black or white this player was signed by this team this player is visiting this team this yeah. player has been traded to that team as opposed to hey i'm hearing that the You know, another team that relies on running backs by committee a lot. The Patriots are planning to give Ramondre Stevenson a 50-50 split with Damian Harris this week. And then next thing you know, Damian Harris has 21 carries and Ramondre Stevenson has nine. Oops, right? Like, again, it's just tense. Sometimes it's just how the cookie crumbles. So I try to make sure that for the most part, my fantasy reporting is black and white. My fantasy projections and my guesses and my insight – that's where there's some subject. Hey, I, I wouldn't yeah, be surprised yeah, yeah. if the Patriots lean heavily on Damian Harris this week. Sometimes you're going to be right. Sometimes you're going to be wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, no, I mean, I, as a consumer, I partially took back Sonny Michel in like a stupid little trade. I think because I'm Alvin Kamara thinking, you know, maybe he might have to miss some games this year um and that and Sony was like visiting the Saints at the time and it was there day yeah. of our draft and I kind, of, I kind of was on the clock and I had to make a decision so like that information definitely impacted my fantasy so that's why I was curious
1: totally yeah I mean it's it's the way that I mean when when you're having to make decisions in real time I totally get why you're and by the way sometimes like you're taking swings at things and you miss yeah. sometimes yeah. you take a swing and you hit right um but like we were reflecting yesterday on NFL live on the Falcons and their decision to pursue a trade at Deshaun Watson. And, you know, it was a, like, it was a swing and it was a miss, but we cannot separate the fact that he's got 23 civil lawsuits ongoing. Yeah. If Deshaun Watson's on the field, he's a decided upgrade separate apart from the fact that he is a hometown individual, right? Like has deep ties to the Atlanta region. Like if they landed Deshaun Watson from a pure football perspective, they're probably in a much better football spot
0: going forward. They took a swing, yeah. and they whipped. Yeah. I uh, I was desperately, desperately hoping that the Eagles did not trade for him because I did not want to root for that guy. But quickly pivoting. Uh, NBA Finals. Your hometown Boston Celtics have done it. Um, done it by making it, obviously. Um, game, game one tonight. I have been saying since the game that they lost at home to the Dallas Mavericks like early March, I think, that I believe the Celtics were capable of winning the finals. A couple weeks later, I was like, man, I think they're the best team in the league. I am sticking with the Boston Celtics. Um, I just think their defense is going to be the hardest possible matchup that the Warriors could face. Um, I mean, they have been the best defense in the league on the year. And I mean, they've been just gangbusters since the trade deadline. Um What say you? I mean, are you, are you going to be bold enough to give a pick? I, I'm saying Boston six, or you just want to talk about the match? Because I also do think it's going to be a sweet series regardless. I mean, it's just the star power, the talent, um, you know, the, the dy- dynastic team trying to get one more, maybe a couple more versus like a team that's Been knocking on the door and they're finally there. It could have some, like, Jordan's Bulls versus Magic's Lakers type feel. Yeah, totally. I'm pretty excited, man. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so –
1: like, just, like, take my Boston Boston background away from this. Like, if you're a basketball fan, this is, like, perhaps best-case scenario for the NBA Finals this year, I would argue.
0: Uh, It's an incredible series.
1: Yeah, like it's an incredible series in so many ways, and I think that the Celtics. So I'm gonna give you both sides, like both the optimistic and then also like the causes <laughs> for concern. So well,
0: I think. Well, the, let, me, let me interrupt you for one second. Do you feel the a's identify as a Celtics fan? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been okay, to cool. I've been to
1: I've been to two games so far uh, in the playoffs. I don't live in Boston oh, anymore, nice. so it's not as easy. But I went to. Uh, game two against the Bucks, when Jalen yeah. ran had twenty five in the first half, and I was like, "This is the most stress least stressful game of my entire life." <laughs> and then I have I also went to uh, game. Uh, let's see, game four, uh, three against Miami, where they lost at home in a game where you are just like, they, they lose game three or game four. I'm pretty sure it was game three where they lost after winning at home, excuse me, on the road against Miami. And you're like, all right, they can just take this series and just grab it by the throat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a game where Jimmy Butler leaves at halftime and Miami just found a way. It was like the Celtics just kept trying to break the dam, but never quite could. The crowd was ready to just blow the ceiling off the building. And next thing you know, Max Schroes hits that incredible, I think it was coming off a little curl, and just drained a three a three pointer to go up ninety four ninety after the they like clawed back in within one. So, um, anyways, <laughs> yes, I do identify Celtics fan. Celtics fan. yeah. <laughs> but I, um, so like, I'll start with causes for concern just because, like, they're I they're it's hard for me. To, like, I really really appreciate the Warriors uh, in so many ways. I think they are you know, very close to, if not, the model franchise. In the NBA, they've got some of the most likable superstars in all the sports, like not simply basketball, right? Steph is Steph, and Clay Thompson's been a remarkable story coming back. And, you know, he's he's not old Clay, but certainly has had a couple of games this year eight three pointers in a game and, and a couple of other, like, vintage Clay moments that are easy to root for. Um, you know, Draymond, I think, is one of those players that, like, when you're not playing against him, you appreciate so much of what he does. When you are playing against him, he's, like, one of the most one of those players that is just easy to rally against, right? When you're playing against him, because he, he's in, at times an antagonist, and he's also incredibly—he's a servant. He's unbelievable. So, anyways, uh, the Warriors also have home court advantage, which I go back and forth on how much that matters. The Celtics have already won seven road games so far this playoffs, um, and and they have won. Yeah, they've won, in obviously most recently a game seven, which uh, you know in on the road against Miami. Um, it's it, and just the, the idea of the Warriors dynasty coming full circle, all those things, a lot of people know. So like a little bit more like into like into the weed and into the minutia, like, you know, the, the Warriors, actually both teams are very, very successful at turning the opponent over probably felt Celtics you know, at a slightly higher rate during the regular season. It feels like during the playoffs, the Warriors have been even better at that. Um, but then both teams have also had their own turnover issues, right? Boston was not quite as turnover prone during the regular season. And then during the playoffs, as things kind of consolidate, they have had some major turnover issues. Jalen Brown had seven turnovers in a game not that long ago. Um, and as we know with the Warriors, like the Celtics defense is as good as there is in the NBA, but it's a different challenge this round than they have faced in any of the previous rounds. They came off of, they've come off back-to-back series in which neither the Bucks nor the Heat's best player is a lethal three-point shooter. Jimmy Butler did have a couple of games where he shot the three-pointer very well, but Giannis and he were players at the outset of the series. Celtics are inviting to take threes, whereas in Golden State, you have, what I mean, at their best, three elite three-point shooters and Steph and Clay and also Jordan Poole. So it's a different challenge. Uh, Golden State's really, really good. Uh, the optimistic view for the Celtics is that that defense is so, so good. It has been their backbone and that, as we all know, they have, during the Steve Kerr era, played the Warriors as well as anybody. And some of what gave Golden State fits two rounds ago against Memphis when they, the only time they were semi-challenged in a series is what Boston does well as well, right? They've got two outstanding, long, big wings who not only can score and and, and hurt you uh, on, on when you're on defense, but they also defend at a high level. So, uh, and 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 the Celtics, I, I turned a corner at some point, and it might have been around that 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 Mavericks game that you referenced, where the Celtics actually lost. It was the Paul Pierce, or KG jersey ceremony, right? Paul Pierce or KG, one of the two. I should know. I'm pretty sure it was Paul, uh, the KG jersey ceremony. Um, but I sort of have just sort of turned the corner that like I believe they can beat anybody on any night. And sometimes in sports, when you're not covering things, especially like you can be. I don't know if like fairy tale, but a little bit more, you can sort of fall for the cool story and you can speak so much more about him and his journey and the kind of respect he commands. But like, I'm, I am so, so, so impressed by Ime Udoka and yeah, well. the, the steadiness of him. Like, it blows my mind that this guy wasn't already a head coach. I know he's been passed over several times, but talk about somebody who is as consistent as he comes and in a league and in a world where we are often celebrating. And I see this all the time in football. We're always celebrating these these guys that win the press conference and have these sort of brainiac ideas and and speak with this great energy and have this effervescence about them, right? And that's fine. Mm-hmm. And some of those guys are also great coaches. Bime, um, I mean, he's like the least uh, entertaining coach at the podium in the entire league, <laughs> right? He doesn't he seems like his body temperature seems to run like it's like plus or minus two degrees at all times. Right. Like he gets fired up usually like when he's frustrated, but they hit a big shot. It's not like he's, you know, he's not, you're not going to see a ton of like, you know, like there's not nearly the amount of animation you might see from others. um, But man, is he impressive? Like he just seems to have this unbelievable ability to connect to these players that when it's going well, he knows how to, remind them to keep the fire a burn and then when it's not going well he knows how to simultaneously get on them for the stuff that they're doing poorly but also let them know that like we still got a shot and you know they they lose game five against milwaukee hey we got two. include we're going to milwaukee and we're coming back to play at our own place this past round you blow game six hey, this is why we had that lead 3-2, because we still have a chance to go on the road and beat him in Game 7. So um, I'm confident in this group is what I would say.
0: Yeah, he's got like an unflappable big brother vibe to him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and not just to like the players, I feel like to everyone. Like, like he exudes that when he's talking publicly too um sure pretty the cool. it's pretty one dynamic i didn't cool. bring
1: up that i want to make sure i get in to show that i have been paying some attention is that no i think, well, think you've proved that already <laughs> well i will say that you know the warriors are obviously tremendously rested right now they had a you yeah. know might as well have been a four-game sleep but a five-game series against the dallas mavericks and the celtics they had been playing uh <clears throat> from may uh, 7th until May 29th, they played every other night. So that's a 22 yeah. day stretch. They went back and forth and back and forth. Um, I think that the Celtics will be really well served past game one with these three days between games. Uh, I think that, you know, there are younger clinicians mm-hmm. and not they are I would, their best players are younger than golden stage, which I think is, is important. Um, and I think that Jason Tatum has had a couple of just totally superstardom-level games. He had one against the Nets in round one, which feels like a distant memory, and then he had the 46-point forty six game six against the Bucks in game six in Milwaukee. He did not have that vintage moment against Miami, and part of me wonders if first, I mean, first of all, Miami is incredible defensively, but also, like, there has to be a bit of fatigue, even for a 24-year-old who is, you know, one of the best players in the world. So I, I am hopeful that you know, we could have one of these nights where Tatum just carries his offense and puts up 47 or whatever. And, and that's – even if other parts aren't clicking on that night, that Tatum can be enough to kind of carry them to one win almost on his own.
0: Yeah. I think for your point about them being uh, a little more in rhythm, let's say – maybe that's all you said, but that that's, that's a thing I think is going to be real. I think the Warriors having sat off. Uh, for a couple of days longer. I'm I'm kind of expecting them to come out to a slow start. I mean, they'll have their big third quarter. They will. Um, they always do. Yeah. But I think Boston's going to jump out on them a bit, or I think it's going to have a pretty similar feeling to game seven, honestly. And once, mm. the, Celtics, once the Celtics get, get one in, in Golden State, I feel like they'll be feeling themselves going back home, and they'll taste it. They'll hear that home crowd. I think they'll get the two at home. I think they lose um, – they lose game, game five, five to Golden State and and take it in the Garden. That's my that is my very granular prediction. Do you have a formal one?
1: Yeah, mine's it's going to sound weird because I think the Celtics win in seven, which means you think they're really going to go on the road and win in game seven in Golden State. And it, I, I think what I'm doing, the Cavs you know did that it. I, the Cavs did do it, and the Celtics just did it to the Heat, which are very different circumstances, obviously. And yeah. it's almost like I know that it's less plausible to go on the road and win on game seven. I, I, I feel like I owe the respect to the Warriors to think this goes all the way to seven. So, yeah, um, will I, say I, I, I would like around. it to go
0: seven. I would like it to go seven. but I think I, the NBA uh, would love
1: it. I'm sure my own company, ESPN, Navy C, would love it. Um, your company games. Yeah. So, uh, let's get it.
0: Let's get seven games. If that's Well,
1: you know what? We'll take six. If the Celtics win in six,
0: I'll take one. No problem. There you go. Well, I'll yeah. take as much time as I can always get talking to you, man. Really appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun. Uh pretty much exactly the uh entertaining type of conversation I thought we'd have. But I had nothing prepared outside of those two questions, so um really appreciate you just coming on and uh also just appreciate you overall, man. Thanks again and uh hope to see you at a, at a pie restaurant soon.
1: Let's do a Thai restaurant sometime soon, but I'm definitely, like, I'm going to try to invite myself back on as we get closer to free agency or after free agency, and I'll ask you the questions as opposed to the other way around.
0: Well, listen, at the end of my show, I usually do say... I guess if they have anything to ask me, but you, I, I knew you were a bit of a time crunch. I mean, if you do have a question, you can fire one off right now, please. please. I'm
1: I'm, sa- I'm saving all my ammo because I don't feel like right. I've quite done not- enough of my own research on like speculative trades this off season that I think makes sense. But I might come firing away with like five or all six right. of them soon enough. I-,
0: I love that, man. You're truly welcome back anytime. So
1: Well, I appreciate I've it immensely, done- my
0: friend. Yeah, man. En- enjoy. Uh, enjoy game one. And uh, and the rest of the finals, I'm I'm, I'm rooting for everyone to be happy, like I said. But it'd be cool for the Celtics and the people there and their fans to get it. So,
1: No No doubt. Jake, be well, my friend. We'll talk soon.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We'll be back, I believe, Tuesday next week. Uh, Not sure who the guest is, but like I said, the field. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the games. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.